How many of you have a list of things that you're going to do someday? These are things that are important and need to be done, but they're hard to get around to. And we don't have the time to go around what all those things are, but I think most of you have something that I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to start saving. Look to the person next to you and say to them, when are you going to get around to it? Those things that you have to do, when are you going to get around to it? And say this to them, if not now, when? Ask them. Look them in the face. Say, if not now, when are you going to get to it? In the book of Haggai, if you'll turn there, God spoke to some people about something that they had been putting off. Let's turn there, Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruins? I want you to notice this. Notice how God refers to the people. He doesn't say, my people say. He doesn't say, my children say. Whenever the kids are being ornery at our house, Lori will say, You need to talk to whose kids? Your kids. They're not our kids. Get your son. Talk to your daughter. Okay? And the Lord says, these people say. He's not saying my children say. You see, he's not pleased with what they've been saying. What are they saying? They're saying it's not time to rebuild the Lord's house. When he clearly instructed them to. I want you to hear this. They think that because they face opposition at pain, it means they must not be in God's will to do what he's called them to do. Tabby and Kylie both faced resistance and pain last week. Not because it was not God's will or not because it was not God's time, but precisely because it was the time. They were about to give birth. And when you give birth, there is travail and there's pain. In the same way in the spirit, listen to me, there is an intense travail and pain right before you see the dreams and the visions that God has placed inside of you come to fruition. Oftentimes, right before God brings things to pass, there's a lot of pain and travail and there's a lot of people who give up at that moment. They say, well, if this is God's will, it should be easy. If I'm in God's will, if this is what God wants, then it should come easy to me. But that's not so. Following the Babylonian captivity, there were a group of exiles who returned to their homeland to rebuild the temple. They laid the foundation. When they get there, they were excited and they laid the foundation of the temple. But when they faced opposition to the rebuilding project, they gave up. Now, Judah is a wasteland. Their resources are limited. So the people turn their attentions to constructing their homes for themselves, and they leave God's temple in ruins. They did not say, we will not do what God commanded. They simply said, now's not the right time. And you remember last week whenever I had you singing, I surrender what I want to? 
I'm telling you, many believers will not say, God, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. What we say is, not now. I got a son who's great at that. Landon, will you take care of this? In a little bit, Dad. In a little bit, Dad. And then after a while, Dad gets ticked off and says, no, you're going to, not a little bit. You're going to need to do it now. But many of us have grown up in spiritually to keep saying to God, in a little while, I'll do that. In a little while, I'll get to it. They convinced themselves that it wasn't the right time and that they needed a break. Now, I don't begrudge anybody. There's times whenever we need a time of refreshment. There's times when we've been working and we've been laboring and there is opposition and there's trials and you need to take a step back and you need to be renewed by God and be refreshed. This break went on for 18 years. That's not a break. Okay? The real issue is they selfishly, they didn't want to have to deal with the trouble, the expense, or the danger involved in doing God's will. They didn't want to do the sacrifice of doing God's will. And they kept telling themselves, I'm going to get to that sometime. But before they know it, that time gets away from them. And you and I need to, I have down here, preach on letting time get away from you. Man, there's something about you and I letting time get away from us. There's things that God has called us to do. He's asked us to do, and we've put them off, and we put them off. God says, I want you to forgive this person. I'll forgive him, God, and we put it off. God says, I want you to go and make this right, and we say, I'll go and make it right, God, and we put it off. God says, I want you to go witness this person. We say, I'll witness to him, Lord, but we put it off, and we don't realize it, but one day we wake up, and it's 18 years later. 18 years later, I don't think that they expected it to turn into 18 years. Their three-day weekend, I need a break. I just need to sit back and I need to relax a little bit. Turned into 18 years and they were suffering the consequences of misplaced priorities. But every time someone brings up the topic, they say, it's not yet time for the Lord's house to be rebuilt. And God stands back and he listens. You know, sometimes the Lord just lets us kind of do what we want for a little while. We say, I want a break, Lord. He lets us take a break. We say, I'll get to it in a little bit. And God lets us get to it in a little bit. But before long, the consequences of delayed obedience continue to catch up with us. And God's been sitting and he's been listening to them. And then there's a certain point. Have you ever been to that place? Where you hear people saying stuff and you know, you just kind of keep your mouth shut. It's not all right. And then there's a certain point where God's had enough of hearing this. And this is what God hears it one too many times. And God confronts them with the question. God says, they says, it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. And God says, is it time for you to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? When he talks about paneled houses, they weren't just living comfortable. They were living in luxury for their day. It wasn't just, God, we're going to take care of our house. You know, Lord, we need a place to live because God knows that. And I believe God knows that you need a nice place to live, a comfortable place to live. But then there came a point where they were building on the pools and they put the sunroom on and then they put the jacuzzi in and now they got the plasma screen TV and it's not time to rebuild the Lord's house yet. They kept saying Now God confronts him, and this is what he says in verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. He says, give careful thoughts to your ways. 
You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. One commentator wrote this. Nothing has prospered while they neglected their duty to God. They thought to escape poverty by not building or rebuilding God's house, but by keeping their money to themselves. But God brought poverty on them for not building. Instead of cheating God, they only cheated themselves. Verbs that are used here are infinitive, implying that this is a continual state. It's a cycle in their life. They never have enough. They're working and they're never getting ahead. In verse 7, it says, this is what the Lord says. Once again, he says, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. God didn't mind that they took care of their own houses. He just says, don't neglect mine. Why were they in the state that they were in? Because God's house remained in ruins. Verse 10, therefore, because of you, he says, because of you, heavens have withheld their due and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else that the ground produces, on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Now, this is what the people did. I want you to listen closely just for a minute. As I was studying this, it, it was not that, I'm sure you probably have already read it and studied it and knew that, but to me, it came alive. The people had convinced themselves that by storing up what they had, they would have and gain even more. Then eventually, someday, they would have enough to rebuild the temple. I don't think that their attitude was, we're not going to do what God says. They thought, we're going to store up what we have. Then eventually, one day, we're going to have enough to do what we're supposed to. The Bible says, God says to them, he said, you looked for much. They kept watching. They focused on their accounts, upon their things. They expected much. They were looking with expectation. They were watching and expecting their accounts to turn into much by neglecting the temple. But imagine their disappointment as their accounts became less and less. Now, it doesn't make sense. In the natural, it makes sense that if I save, I'm going to have more. It doesn't make sense in the natural that if I give, if I take care of the temple, I, you know, how am I going to have enough for me? But listen to what the writer of Proverbs says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So then we go back to verse 12. So they're looking for the day that they can do what they're called to do and what they want to do. But because they've delayed in doing that, that day never comes. You see that? They're expecting much. They're looking at their accounts and they're expecting their accounts to grow. They're expecting that someday I'm going to be in a position where I can do what God has asked me to do. But that day never comes. Then listen to what God says. God speaks to them again. God tells them the reason why they're in their situation. 
And then verse 12, he says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. God told the people that he wanted them to start making preparations for the work. They were to start getting the supplies. In particular, they were to start getting the wood. Please notice this. As soon as they showed, and I want you to write this down, the mere disposition to obey. Listen to me. As soon as they showed the mere disposition to obey the voice of God, even before they actually set to work, God changes his tone with them. He moves from a reproving tone to one of tenderness. And haven't you noticed about the Lord? Like God will come and he'll, he'll direct something, he'll address something with you, and it seems like God is correcting us. And the moment our heart turns, even starts to turn soft towards him, it's like God's whole tone changes with us. And he says, son, I'm with you. But I've messed up, son, I'm with you. That's God's promise. He promises them that he is with them. He moves, okay, he is quick to forget their former unfaithfulness and to assure them when obedient that he is and will be with them. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. So God promised them, listen to this, before they did anything, before they picked up a hammer, before they made any act, just by changing their hearts, God's heart changes towards them. His attitude towards them changes. And God promises to be with them. They begin to work, and God tells them a number of things. He says, be strong. He tells them not to fear. He tells them that he will once more shake the nations, and that he will fill this house with his glory. He tells them they they get a little discouraged later on because they're looking at what's going on and they're remembering what the temple was like before. They're lamenting and God tells them that the glory of this house will be greater than the glory of the former house. In the glory of the former house, they could not stand to minister. They couldn't even stand in the presence of the Lord. And God says that the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory of the former house. He reminds them that all the silver and the gold are his. And now I want you to skip down to verse 15 of chapter 2. Listen to what God says. They started the work. They started being obedient to what God called them to do. And God says this, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. Did you see that? They never had enough. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundations of the Lord were laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranates, 
and the olive tree have not borne fruit. Look at the next line. He says, from this day on, I will bless you. Do you see that? God says, from this day on, God says, I want you to write down and mark this day. Because up until this day, you were not being obedient. You had other priorities. He says, but I want you to mark down this day. Because you've turned your heart towards me. You've stepped out in faith. And from this day on, I'm going to bless you. God says, from now on, I want you to consider your ways as well. God desires to bless in all areas of our lives. But at times, he requires us to step out in faith. I have a quick video. It just shows you what happens when you need to step out in faith. I don't know all about it. I didn't get to watch all the movie. I'm sorry. I didn't have the time. But isn't that kind of what God asks us to do sometimes? He asks us to do things that seem completely impossible. And he asks us at times to step out in faith. And we're like, I look like a fool. Don't do it because a man asks you to. But when God asks you to step out in faith, you can be assured that he's going to be there to catch you. You can be sure that he's going to provide a bridge or he's going to provide a way through or a way across. As a church, we could say now's not the time. But friend, if not now, when? We could be like the children of Israel and we can try to store up until sometime in the future when we are in a better place. But it seems like that time never comes. I believe as we step out in faith, God is going to bless us. I want you to do this. I want you to do two things. I want you to mark down in your Bible, March 3rd, because I believe God says to us, when we turn our hearts to do what he would ask of us, I believe what God says is from this day on, I will bless you. But doing that requires a step of faith. This is what I want you to do.
Some of you have yours with you. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you got it with you today, I'm going to ask you this week, you're building a brighter future campaign. I'm going to ask you, if you will, that you'll take that. And this is a step of faith for people. But I believe this. I believe that as we step out, God's going to be there. I believe as we act in obedience that he's going to provide. And on that inside of it, it says, yes, we want to commit to the expansion and growth of our building at Lighthouse Assembly of God. It's on this section here. This is what I want to ask you to do. That if you got it today, if you will, if you don't have it today, if this week you'll get that to us. Contribution amount. I want you to put there, I want you to scratch that out if you got that. And I want you to write on there, our family goal. Now, this is what you're asking. You're asking not what you can give, not what you have, not what you can figure out. But by faith, if God would provide for you, what would you like to be able to give? No one's going to come to your house and shake you down. No one's going to say, hey, you gave $3 less than what you said you wanted to give. We're asking you that with God's help, what is it that you want to do? We're going to need some people to make some big sacrifices. The biggest gift I've ever seen someone give was $25,000. That's the biggest gift I've ever seen. We set our goal at the biggest gift that I had ever seen anyone give. But you know what? I think, I think maybe we need to think about more for her and I. Landon set his goal for 1000 And he said to me the other day, he said, Dad, he said, you know, he's at 700 He said, Dad, I think I need to raise mine to 5000 And I was like, oh, wow, dude, that's cool. Then he said to me the other day, don't tell him this, but he said to me last week, he said, Dad, I got some money in my bank account. He said, I've been thinking about, I've been feeling like I'm supposed to like take the money that's all the money that's in my bank account and give it to the building fund. And I said, I said, oh, buddy, I said, you know, you don't have to do that. It's okay to keep something for yourself. And afterwards, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I just thought, what did I do there? I got a little boy who wants to give what he has to God. And I'm saying to him, now, now hold on. Do you, you think God, a young child who gives all he has to God, you think God can't make up his $167 that's in his bank account? I can tell you, God can do a whole lot more if that young boy learns to give everything he has to the work of God than if he keeps his 167 bucks, because that's not going to go too far. I'm asking you as your pastor, will you come up with an amount that you feel that with God's help, not what you have, not what you're able to do, but something that you pray about and you say, God, what is the amount that you would like me to give through me? And I'd like you to scratch out the contribution amount and say our family goal. And then this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray over those and we're going to believe that God is going to provide not only what you have need of for your pledge, but some of you have need to pay for kids to go to college, that God will provide that because God knows that. That he'll help Andy and Liz pay off their house. God knows they need to pay off their house. See, God has the ability to pay off your house. And he has the ability to pay off your car. And and he has the ability to help you with those debts. And that, like the guy in Proverbs, that some people can be generous. And after they give, they have even more. And some people withhold. And they come to poverty. So this is the point we're at. We're at the point now where we need folks to be able to make that commitment.
This week, would you do that for us? We've prayed, we've fasted, we've preached about it. Now it's time you're standing at the cliff and you're looking out there and you're saying, huh, I don't know about this. Will you step out in faith and then will you see what God does as he takes care of not only your family's needs, but even the desires that you have? If you could get those into us this week, you can put them in the mail. And once again, we're not going to chase people down. This is our way of making a commitment that we can go from this place. And then as we step out, what will God do? How will God multiply what you give and what I give? And how will God cause that to be more than enough to meet the need? I believe with all my heart that God's going to do that. And so, Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have of giving to you. I pray that you would take our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, and this sacrificial pledge. And I pray, God, that you would multiply it. And I pray that it would be more than enough to meet the need. I pray, God, that you would bless in my friend's life in every single area of their life. Not just one area, but every area of their lives. I pray that you would provide more than enough for what they need. I pray that salvation would come to their families. The deliverance would come to their families. As they step out in faith and as they give, Lord, you blessed every area. And I pray, God, we can't buy a blessing, but we can be a part of your work. And so as we give today and as we make our pledges, I pray that you'd multiply that. And it would be more than enough in Jesus' name. Amen.